Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs chapter number 24. The book of Proverbs chapter 24. We've been exploring this wonderful book of wisdom and just hitting proverb after proverb, here a little, there a little, just kind of exploring it. We'll be finished with the book of Proverbs at the end of the year, just getting these little nuggets of truth, these wonderful, concise statements that could preach a lot of truth and be a help to us on a daily practical basis. Once again, we find another one of those Proverbs found in the book of Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs chapter 24, and if you don't mind, look with me in verse number 16. The book of Proverbs chapter 24, and look with me in verse number 16, the Bible says this, for a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, and notice with me in verse 16, a just man falleth seven times. A just man falleth seven times. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you that we could come to you and that we could worship you, that we could acknowledge you. I'm thankful that you can help us. Lord, there are so many times where it's hard to move forward. There are so many times when we fail. And Lord, we're thankful that you could give us the strength to go another step, that you could give us the hope to keep moving forward. We're asking that you would give and be a practical help to someone at the sound of my voice today, that you could be a help to someone who's thinking about giving up, someone who's thinking about just surrendering to the madness. Lord, I'm asking that you would help, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a powerful proverb when you understand maybe the psychology of it. The idea of the phrase here, for a just man, that word just in this phrase, this phrase, phrase together, the just man, is actually talking about the character of a man. There's something about character. The idea of character is who you are, not just in public, but who you are when no one else is looking. That a just man, someone with good character, that when he falls, he could fall seven times, that's a lot, and still get back up again. After a while, when people fail, it becomes harder and harder to continue forward. It becomes easier and easier to see our failures. It becomes easier and easier to look down and say, I've messed everything up. Why should I even try anymore? Notice the end of this proverb where it says, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The contrast of this is that those of wicked character, those that don't have that strong character, what happens is when they fail, what they do is they kind of surrender to it and they spiral down more 
and more and more. I'll just take it as a practical thing. Let's just say that you start off having a bad day. You walk up on the wrong side of the bed and it happens to be the side with a wall on it. We use that expression that you walk up on the wrong side of the bed. It means that things already start working out for the wrong. That you find your milk is spoiled. You step on the cat. You drop things down the stairs. You, as you're walking out the door, you spill something and you don't have time to clean it up. You know, these little things start getting into it. You get into your car and it seems like you hit every red light and you got every slow grandmother driver that's in your way and you're in a hurry now and they just, you can't get past them and it starts building up. You become a little bit late at work and you get, you know, you know those things start building up. And what normally happens when we're left to our own devices is that we just surrender to that bad day and we let our attitude show, I'm just going to have a bad day and it's just going to get worse and you're expecting it to get worse and you surrender to it and you spiral down and it's no matter what's going to happen, you're going to have a bad day. I mean, you can be told that you're going to have a promotion and it's just, it's bad day. You, you've already spiraled down. And as you're spiraling down, you seem to make everything else worse that you touch. If I have a days like that, I know I'm not the only sinner in here, but this is what it's talking about is that it is so easy that once you start having that bad day, once you start seeing the consequences of an action to start spiraling down and not picking yourself back up, but surrendering to the destruction, to the calamity, to that other stuff, just to give up trying on that day. Well, this day's a wash and it's only eight o'clock this morning. It just, I, why even try today? It'd be better for me. And you spiral down and you give up. But the Bible here says the just man, a man of character, a man who's learned how to put his trust in the Lord, a man who is determined that he's not going to allow obstacles to get in his way. It says that he falls seven times. What is this idea of fall? He messes up. He messed up seven times. And every time he got back up and said, this isn't going to determine my day. This isn't going to define my day. This isn't going to define my life. Now, of course we could put it to the idea of a day, but this also could put a picture of a life. There are some people that have messed up so badly that they feel that there's no way out. And so they give in to the cycling. They give in to the destruction. And they said, well, since I messed up, I might as well just surrender to it. And I might as well let it be the defining characteristic of my life that I'm going to keep messing up. Why even try to do any better? Everything I touch is going to be messed up. There are some people that they made a mistake and that mistake seems to haunt them and they can't get over it. So they surrender to it and they cycle down and they surrender to it. But this is saying that a just man, even if you make a huge, humongous mistake, you still get back up. You have enough character to say, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to surrender to it. I'm still going to try to do what's right, even though I messed up. I'm still going to try to do what's right, even though I made a mistake. I'm going to still do what's right, even though there's consequences that have fallen upon my life. Now, the classic comparison to this verse is illustrated in two contemporary people. Saul and David. Saul and David. Now we've explored Saul before in previous messages, but when Saul failed, he gave into it. He surrendered and started circling, getting worse and worse and worse 
and worse. It started when Saul started to try to take matters in his own hands. Instead of waiting on God, he took the matters. He didn't want to wait for Samuel. He tried to sacrifice before Samuel was there. Later on, he was given a commandment. He didn't obey. And when (laughs) both times he tried to blame someone else, it wasn't my fault. The people made me do it. The people got in a hurry. I couldn't wait for you. I'm sorry. The people wanted this. And he started blaming everyone else, refused to take responsibility. And because he refused to take responsibility, there was consequences. And yet he could have got right with God at any time. But instead of getting right, he doubled down, said, I'm right. I don't see why you're picking on me and just allowed it to spiral down. It got to the place where God replaced him as king, told him, hey, you're not going to be king anymore. So now he got mad at David, who was supposed to be his replacement. Now, David had done nothing wrong to Saul, but Saul got to the place where he tried to kill David. Three times (coughs) that Saul tried to kill David with a javelin, three times Scholars who study such things said the whole reason why Saul tried to kill David in the first place is because he was playing Christmas songs before Thanksgiving. (laughs) But whatever the reason, he tried to kill David. All because he kept looking at David with envy and jealousy. Saul had messed up. He could have said, you know what? I messed up. I accept my responsibility. Why don't I invest in this kid and teach him how not to make mistakes? He could have done that, but instead he looked at the kid and said, why does he get all the good stuff? Why do the bad things always happen to me? And he spiraled down. It got to the place where he had such a mood and such an attitude that nobody wanted to be around him. The Bible says that he was plagued by evil spirit, which is just a way of him just trying to say that he's weighted down and he's upset all the time and he's grumpy. Nobody wants to be around him. Nothing would cheer him up. Have you ever met someone who wants to be grumpy? Though no matter what you try to do nice to them, they're determined to be grumpy. They're not going to be happy about it. That's what Saul was. They did everything they could to cheer him up. And he's determined. He's just surrendering to it. Why does God hate me so bad? Why do things be surrendered? And everything he did, he's spiraling down worse and worse and worse. And there's more And more consequences just adding up. At any time, he could have got right with God at any time. But he refused. He refused. But he's not the one we're going to study today. We're going to study David. Now, some people have in mind that David was a man after God's own heart. Therefore, he lived perfect. That's not, that's so far from the truth. In fact, there are seven Specific places where David messed up horribly bad. And every single time he picked himself back up, got right with God, and did not allow those mistakes to be his defining moment. Which even today, when we talk about David, we usually think about a man after God's own heart. We do not major on his mistakes, even though he made many mistakes. The mistakes are not what defines him. By the way, mistakes should not be what defines you. And you do not have to allow mistakes, failures, collapses to define your life, your mood, or your attitude. 
The Bible says that a just man, a man of character, falleth seven times and riseth up again. If you don't mind, let's just look at David's life. Let's look at his failures. And he had some major failures. And a lot of that was because of fear. And again, we're going to look at some things that may surprise you. But David failed several times. Notice with me, if you don't mind, 1 Samuel 21. The qualification of being a Christian is not perfection. Aren't you thankful for that? Because we would all have a hard time. However, as a Christian, when we do mess up, we can immediately get it right with God. That's the Christian life. Not being perfect, but getting things right with God when we mess up. That's what this whole verse is about, is that we can get it right. We don't have to wallow in the mud. We don't have to feel sorry for ourselves. We don't have to let our failures, which are plenty, be our defining moments. Let's look at David's life and look at some of these failures. Notice with me in 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21 and notice with me in verse number 1. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business and hath said to me, Let no man know of anything of the business. <clears throat> where have I sent thee and what I've commanded thee and I've appointed my servant such and such a place. Zeb. <clears throat> In verse number two, if you're not familiar with the story, David is running from Saul and he goes to the high priest and he lies. Now, some people have just kind of overlooked this and give a pass. <clears throat> However, Lying is never an acceptable answer. And lying is never an acceptable excuse. And lying is never an acceptable answer. David lies to the high priest. He lies to the man of God. He could have been honest and said, hey, you know what, I'm running from Saul. But he lied. He comes up with a story that I'm doing business for Saul. Now again, there's a lot of people who whitewash this, but this is a failure. He decided that it was better for him to lie. By the way, his lie is going to cause the high priest he's currently talking to to die. He's going to be killed. Not just the high priest, but all the priests who are working there at the city of Nob. Not only them, but the women and children and animals are all going to die because of David's lie. Now, David didn't mean to get these people killed. There was an evil guy there by the name of Doeg. But David's lie had a huge consequence. A huge consequence. In fact, the next chapter, David is hiding in the caves by the Dead Sea, in the cave of Adullam, trying to be away from everyone. Partly because he, his lie just caused a big mistake. He's upset. <laughs> he... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, it's later on in the chapter where the people die. But David's trying to be alone. He lied to the priest. There's going to be consequences. He could have let this be a defining moment. He could have said, you know what? I know God called me to be king, but I messed up so bad. I'm not worthy of being king. I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to even try anymore. I'm just going to just, he could have committed suicide. He could have. 
you know, why even try? Why even bother? I messed up. Everybody hates me. Saul's trying to kill me. Nothing's good for me. I keep messing up. Why is these things happening to me? What he did is he got right with God and moved forward. The just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. His first failure, as we see here, was he lied to Abimelech to try to manipulate the situation. But it didn't work out and it caused awful consequences. Notice, if you don't mind, a second mistake David made. Once again, 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. So David, he fears Saul. Notice with me in verse 10. 1 Samuel 21 verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him and dances saying Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David laid these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. Let's pause right here. So David, he gets afraid of Saul. So what he does is he goes to the Philistines. Now, maybe you're not familiar with David and Goliath, but Goliath was a Philistine. They're the bad guys. They're the enemy. David has now got to the place where he's so afraid of Saul that he'd rather go hide out with the enemies. However, when he gets there, the uh, enemies did not forget who David was. After all, if you, ki- if you had the guy who killed your giant champion, don't you think you know who he was? Don't you think everyone in, in the Philistine lands knew who David was? Notice they even say, is this not David the king? He's technically not king yet, but they consider him king. <laughs> we got the king here. The king of our enemies. He's here. Isn't this the guy that everyone was singing songs about? That Saul had killed his thousands, but David killed the ten thousand. Isn't this guy here the killer of Philistines? I meant the guy just to get a dowry killed 3,000 Philistines just to impress his future father-in-law. I meant, and did horrible things to the Philistines when he caught him. I mean, <laughs> this is the enemy. This is the guy who kills Philistines. Why are we even allowing him here? So notice what David does, verse 12. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he, David, changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled at the door of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his hand. Think about this. To get out of a wrong decision, first of all, he made a wrong decision by going to the Philistines. Then to get out of his decision, he now pretends to be mad and ashamed himself, dishonored the Lord. As he starts going, oh, oops, oops. I guys and spits running down his beard and I must have went to the wrong place. Hey, he's acting stupid acting mad, acting like he lost his mind just to get out of consequences that he caused. He dishonored God's name. Again, he's lying. He's trying to manipulate. He's putting himself on display, acting a fool, dishonoring himself and dishonoring God. This is a big mistake. All because he was afraid 
he, because of his fear, he made a wrong decision. His wrong decision is now having consequences to get out of the consequences. He doubles down and acts crazy. Horrible time, a horrible testimony. Now, this could have been a defining moment when he realized, oh man, I messed up bad. I was glad to get out of there with my life. I should have died. I'm out of there. Well, you know, Philistines hate me. Saul hates me. He could have just quit. He could have just said, you know what? I messed things up so horribly bad. No one's going to trust me anymore. Why would anybody follow me? Everyone thinks I'm crazy now. Who's going to follow a crazy guy? I mean, this guy's got mental issues. Why should I follow someone who's mental? He could have just gave up right then and there. But he recognized what he did and got things right. He got things right. Notice if you don't mind... That wasn't all of his mistakes, 1 Samuel 25. Again, sometimes in David's life, people whitewash these things. But these were mistakes that David made that were not right. They were not correct. They were not handled well. But what we're learning here is not from David's mistakes, but the idea that he didn't let these mistakes define him. And he got right with God and got things fixed. Sometimes it's an encouragement to see that these Bible people are not super Christians. They're people just like you and me. If you were in that situation, what would you do? If you were running from the king and ran into someone asked what you're doing, would you lie? You understand we're very empathetic about this because these are things that we naturally might do ourselves. If you found out that the enemy's surrounding you and they're like, hey, we got King David. Could you fault the guy for trying to think of some way to get out of the mess he got himself into? Instead of praying, he act crazy, uh, just acting mad where they didn't want to have anything to do with him. We don't want this crazy guy around us. And they just escorted him out. He's lucky to be alive, but that was horrible. 1 Samuel 25 comes to another mistake in David's life. So in this story here, David is hiding out from, from um, Saul him and his men, he's now gathered a band of men and he lands on someone's property by the name of Nabal. And as he's on Nabal's property, whenever bandits or wild animals would come to Nabal's sheep and livestock, David's men would fend them off. Well, David and his men started to run out of groceries. So they went up to Nabal and said, hey, um, do you mind if uh, you give us some vittles. I mean, we've been trying to take care of your land and your property, trying to be good neighbors. And Nabal says, who are you? Servants run away from their master all the time. Who are you? Why should I care? No. Well, David was not happy with this. So notice David's response. First Samuel 25, start with me in verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away from their, break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I've killed and for my shears and give it to men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned away again and went again and came to him and told him all these things. And David said to his men, gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men, 200 abide, bowed by the stuff. 
So David, when he gets his messengers back and they said, Nabal said, nope, he's not going to help you. David got mad, but didn't just get mad. He armed his men and he were going to go kill Nabal. David is thinking about murder. Now, have you ever thought about killing someone? They drove you so crazy that you want to at least put their head through the wall. I mean, that's probably a hard reaction. It is probably an extreme reaction. Now, David's under lots of pressure. He now has all these people following him. He still has Saul. He's messed up several times. He's still trying to find what's right. He's trying to do what's right, but he's living in these things, lots of pressure. And now he has this guy that he's been helping out with snap at him, tell him he's not going to help him. David had a wrong response. Now, some of you may be perfect Christians, but have you ever had a wrong response to someone? They said something wrong to you and you immediately want to snap back at them. They say something wrong to you and you want to get in a fight with them and argue and put them in their place. Well, David had a wrong response. He's upset. He's mad. He arms up his boys. Let's go, guys. Now, remember, one of these boys is Joab. He's already a murderer. So, you know, (laughs) all right, let's load him up. Let's go. And he's on his way to go kill Nabal just because Nabal told him no. Wrong response. Abigail, Nabal's wife, went quickly to go load up as many groceries as she could, met David, apologized, and calmed David down. And David realized, oops, I made a mistake. I lost my testimony. I lost my temper. I lost what I was supposed to do. I was fixing to do something really horribly bad that I could not come back from. Now, he could have surrendered from that and said, you know what? People think I'm a bad guy. I might as well start acting like a bad guy. I've got my bandits with me. I got people with no problems killing. Let's just go ahead and be bandits now. Let's just civil war and take care of this. He could have surrendered to that. He, could have, he had plenty of people that would have had no problems with that. But instead, he got right with God even from this. He repented, realized this was a mistake, and he feels bad about it. And we're thankful that God protected him. Notice, if you don't mind, as we kind of pick this back up. Good. Abigail speaks for quite a while. Verse number 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. He says, you know what? I should have trusted God. I could have trusted God, but instead I tried to take things in my own hands and I almost messed things up even worse. Another time that David failed, but he got right with God. Let's go to a third time. So David has lied to Abimelech. He's fled to Gath. He's marched on Nabal. Notice if you don't mind, 1 Samuel 27, we see something else. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number one. First Samuel 27 and verse one. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to, that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more on the coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And what we see in 1 Samuel 27 is that once again, David flees to Philistines. Now, what we see here is that he lost faith. He got to the place where he says, 
I give up believing good things are going to happen. I give up believing that God's going to protect me. I give up believing that God is going to work things out. I know that I was promised to be king, but that's, that's never going to happen. He gave up his faith. He lost his faith. Now, there may be times where you've lost your faith. I don't see how any way this is going to work out. I've tried, failed, didn't work. I might as well just lose my faith. I might as well give up. And when we get to that place, it's interesting to see what we start doing. We know we should read our Bible, but when we lost faith, you ever notice how hard it is to read your Bible? When you lost your faith, you ever notice how hard it is to make it to church? When you lost your faith, have you ever noticed how hard it is to pray? When we lose our faith, it becomes very easy to start spiraling down and getting worse and worse and worse. We find ourselves in a very bad place and making decisions we know we shouldn't have made. David already knows that he can't go back to the Philistines and yet he did it anyways. He gave up faith. He says it's not going to work out. He's getting close to spiraling. But he gets right with God after this, fixes it. He doesn't let this be his defining moment. As we know the story goes on that shortly after God allows Saul to die in the battle with the Philistines, David is restored and David becomes the king. And you almost think, well, now he's the king, no more Saul, no more problems. Well, it doesn't work out that way. We still have some more failures. <laughs> Notice, if you don't mind, as we find our way to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. So David has been king and he's been trying to do what's right, trying to fix things. He's already fallen and gotten back up. He's restored his relationship with God. He's encouraging others to live by faith. And in the midst of this, when he's now reached his height, he messes up again. And he messes up big time. Notice if you don't mind, his other, another failure is that he stayed home instead of going to battle. He stayed home instead of going to battle. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass at evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look at. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. So what we see here is that David, he got himself in trouble from not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He had an obligation as a warrior king to be with his men. They're going to commit, and he's got to be in charge. Instead, he said, you know what, I'm going to sit out this one. There's an old adage, it's not biblical, but we find the principle that idle hands is a devil's workshop. It is amazing how much trouble we can get into when we're not busy. When we have time in our hands, flipping through the channels, going through YouTube, scrolling through our phone. A lot of extra time is a lot more opportunities for our mind to wander to places that it shouldn't go. All 
of this setup here with Bathsheba were things that David could have avoided. First of all, if he was busy doing what he was supposed to, if you are working the way that you ought to, you don't have time to go get in trouble. There's plenty of things to do. You say, well, I'm a parent. I got plenty of time. You're a parent. You have less time. (laughs) Those kids need lots of attention, lots of guidance. We need to, if we're serving the Lord as we ought, there's plenty of things to do. It's amazing. The people who said, I've got too much time are the people who said, I don't have time to read my Bible. There's time. We just have to use it wisely. When you're not doing what you're supposed to, you find yourself with a lot more time that's not going to be used wisely. David, <laughs> he walks around and hits the, um, uh, the overview. Now, David is familiar with his palace. He built it. Now, in the ancient world, because they didn't have nice water heaters like we do, what they would do in the desert land is that they would have on top of the roof, they would have a privacy kind of fence, a half wall. Then they would have a tub out there full of water and they would let the desert heat during the day warm up the water. So at night, when the air's turning cool, it's not too hot, the warm water would still be warm. Beautiful time to soak and take a bath. No problem. That's what people did. That was commonplace. David's palace is higher, so he gets a look over the roof. He knows what time it is. And he knows, I probably shouldn't be out here at this time. I know that there's certain channels I'm not supposed to watch. There's certain things I'm not supposed to. You know what you're not supposed to do. And yeah, he had all this time and did it anyways. Then he inquired, hey, who's this lady? When they qu- questioned him, they asked as a question, you know who this is. This is Uriah, one of your uh, favorite men. It's his wife. You've met her before. Oh, by the way, this is the granddaughter of Epithethel, your counselor. You've met her. You've known her since she was a kid. He knew who she was when he was inquired of her. They're like, why are you asking? You know you shouldn't be asking about this. You know where her husband is. He's asking this. God has actually put all of these fences around David, and David had to jump over those fences to get to sin. That's what we're understanding the principle here, that most of us, we have to jump over fences to get to sin. And David had this extra time, and with that extra time, he used it to think about how I could jump over those fences, how I could get over those things. Let's take someone in today's modern world. Today's modern world, you put up a um, a internet block on your internet, praise the Lord, good thing. But then you spend a lot of time figuring out how to get across the block still to get to the website that you know you're not supposed to get to. They put up a fence and you got to it anyways. People will do a lot to get to that sin. They will overcome obstacles in their way. That's because of spare time that you have. When you have that extra time, you have those idle hands. It's very easy to go find ways to get into sin. You know you shouldn't, but you stumble into it anyways. It was no accident, David's affair with Bathsheba. It was all purposeful things he did. And every single step was avoidable and a roadblock that he had to jump over. David stayed home instead of going to battle. He allowed himself to be too idle and not busy And it gave him too much free time to get into trouble. That was a failure. To compound that, 
he attempted to hide the affair. So they had an affair. And boys and girls, let me tell you that it only takes one time to get someone expected. Right? It doesn't take multiple times. It could take one. So she comes up with the news and says, David, we got a problem. I'm expecting. And my husband hasn't been back in a long time. Well, David calls the husband back. Says, congratulations for being one of my great servants. I'm going to reward you. You go home and spend time with your wife. And Uriah says, I can't. What do you mean you can't? Well, my general's out there. My countrymen are out there. My country's fighting for, um, for the glory. God's, uh, <clears throat> we're fighting for the glory of God. We're fighting for our country, fighting for our king. Why can I go home when everybody else is at the battle? You see, he's doing the opposite. He said, now, I'm not allowing myself to have idle time. I'm supposed to be busy and I'm not going to allow myself to relax while I'm supposed to be busy. David's getting frustrated with this because he's trying to cover it up. He's trying to say, it's Uriah's baby, but Uriah won't go home. So Uriah is there sleeping. David finally says, you know what? Let's have a party. You're such a great uh, general. You're such a great warrior for me. You know what? Let's get you drunk. So now David is purposely getting the guy drunk, hoping that he would go home and see his wife. Nope. He still won't. He's loyal even though he's drunk. Imagine that. So David now plots his murder. And in order to cover up his sin, he kills an innocent man, a faithful man, a man who actually carried his own death sentence in his hand to Joab because he could be trusted not to look at the orders. A good man died. All because of David. Now David's miserable for the next year until the preacher comes and points his finger in there in his face and said, thou art the man. And David immediately gets right with God. Took him a long time, but it got right with God. It could have been his defining moment. He could have just said, you know what? I'm going to be full bad guy now. Let's just give unto this. But he still got right. Imagine that. One more incident in David's life. That's when David and pride numbered the people. At the end of the book of 1 Samuel, it talks about David numbering the people. And you say, well, what's the big deal of this? Well, the Bible talks about that for the kings of Israel, they were not supposed to number their people, that they were supposed to trust God to provide all the people necessary to win the battles. But David, too much time again, said, you know what? I'm going to count how many warriors I have at my disposal. I'm going to count how many big my army is. I'm going to count how many people I have potential to use at this. And Joab starts telling David, you shouldn't do this. Now, Joab is a murderer, many times so. And when Joab starts being the voice of reason, you've probably gone way too far. And Joab says, don't do this. This is against God. And God, David says, do it anyways. All right. They don't even get finished numbering before God sends judgment down. And horrible judgments. And David ends up getting right with God in a long, wonderful story about how the plague would stop as David gave a sacrifice on the same place where the temple was going to be built later on. But it's all because of David messing up, but he got right with God. You see, the just man, a man of character, he could fall seven times, but he gets back up. The qualification of being a Christian, being a believer is not perfection. And I'm so glad because we keep messing up. The qualification of being a good Christian is what happens when you mess up. Do you descend into madness? Do you just give in and surrender and say, well, it's just, why try? Why bother? I messed up. I might as well just 
do my best. There's no getting out of this. There's no hope. And a lot of people do that. There are a lot of people who make one mistake and they quit going to church because they're afraid um, that they'll never get right again. Let me tell you, as long as there's life, there's still hope. There are some people who say, I've had so many consequences in my life, things that I did when I was younger that are now coming up here. I can't even imagine me trying to do something for the Lord. As long as there's life, there's still hope. The character of a man is someone who says, I messed up, but I'm going to get right. And I'm not going to let my mess ups, my failures, my sins, my consequences define me. As long as God still lives, I'm going to get right and take another step forward. As long as God still lives, I'm going to take another step and I'm going to go forward. You see, the Christian life is about building and battling. It's about taking that next step. It's about always moving forward. Even if it feels like you're getting dragged behind, you're still taking a step forward. And if the winds keep blowing you, you're going to take another step forward. That's the character that God wants to have for his believers is keep moving forward. Keep taking the next step. Even if it's hard, you take another next step. Even if it feels like you're crawling, you're taking the next step. You're not allowing those things to define you. You're not allowing those things to make you quit. You're just keeping taking the next step and the next step and the next step. Now again, why is this so applicable? Because every one of us are messed up. Every one of us have consequences. The difference is, is our response to those mess ups, to those consequences. Do you give up and say, why try? Why bother? Or do you say, Lord, with your help, please take me, let me take the next step. And Lord, with your help, help me to take the next step. And Lord, I messed things up really bad this time, but help me take the next step and the next step and the next step. I'm so thankful that failures and consequences and sins don't have to define who we are. Our faith can define us. That God is gracious that even though I messed up, he still uses me. That even though I messed up, he still has a plan for me. And even though I messed up, he still can do something with my life. Just take the next step and the next step and the next step. Now, where are you? There are some of you without a doubt that are on the edge of saying, it's so easy to give up. Why try? Let me tell you, get your eyes on the Lord, get right and take that next step. There may be some of you say, you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm not in a trial. Let you know you're fixing to go to one. How are you going to respond to it? By faith, you could say, Lord, I'm going to make a decision now that no matter how bad I mess up, I'm still going to take a step forward. I'm still going to move forward. I'm not going to allow my failures and my consequences to define me. I'm just going to take another step by faith, another step by faith, another step by faith. That as long as there's life there's hope. We have a good God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.